0: Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Church Online. My name is Omar, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship Church. And if you're joining us today for the very first time, listen, thank you so much for, for tuning in. Uh, we believe that the Lord brought you here for a reason. And so uh, I hope that this, mer- this message encourages you. And it's actually the perfect time to join us because we're winding down a series called Survive and Thrive. You know, my desire for you is not that you would just survive the Christian life, but that you would thrive in it, that you would have a great walk with Christ. And so we've been going through the book of Colossians, and today we're gonna be looking at chapter two, verses 20 through 23, all right? So wherever you're watching, just read along with me, all right? Here's what it says. It says, if with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed, and what? An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism, and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh or our sinful desires." that is the word of the Lord. You know, as you can imagine, pastoral ministry could be very stressful at times. And so last year, I decided to take all the pastors to go out and to go out on a night of fishing, just to to relax, unwind, and just to hang out for a little bit. And so I called Donovan Tate, who's the small group director at the Redlands campus, and I asked him if he can organize a charter trip for us. Now, the, the style of fishing that, that Donovan does is a little unique. You know, it's not your traditional forms of fishing. Instead, instead, listen, it's actually fishing with a bow and an arrow. Yeah, it's called bow fishing. And so one night he gathered all the pastors together and he took us out to, in, to, in the middle of the night to the middle of the Everglades. Yeah, and church family, it was the coolest thing. We were out there in the middle of the night. It was pitch black. We could see the backdrop, in the backdrop the city of Miami. We could hear wildlife all around us and even see the little alligators just peeking up and just looking at us while we were there. But anyhow, when we got to the right spot, we began to troll. And folks, my goal that night was to conquer these fish, to overcome these fish and just to catch as many of them as possible. So when I began to see them, here's what happened. I took up my bow and arrow, right, my bow, and I aimed to the best of my abilities. I I put them in the crosshairs and I began just to let it rip. And church, I wish I could tell you that I cleaned house right from the start, but not quite, quite the opposite. Because for whatever reason, every single time I aimed and and I shot at them, I would miss every single time. So I began to get frustrated and more frustrated. And so as I was getting more and more frustrated, Donovan came beside me and he said something to the effect of this. He said this, he said, Omar, if you want to be effective in catching these fish, if you want to overcome these fish, listen, you cannot follow conventional wisdom. You can't do what just makes sense. You see, you cannot just aim right at the fish, but rather, listen, you have to aim below the fish. And here's why. It's because these fish appear to be in a certain place, but they're not really there. You see, the water gives an illusion of of where they're at, but the reality is that they're much deeper, they're much lower. So if you want to be effective, listen, you cannot aim right at these fish, but rather you have to aim below them. And church family, the moment that we began to shoot that way, listen, we began to catch some fish. And all the pastors started catching, every single campus pastors, different ministry pastors, we all caught fish. We were having a great time. And shout out to Ben Stapley who caught the biggest fish and the most fish. And that's the reason we call him the Canadian wonder. But folks, listen, don't miss the point of all this because what appeared to be the right way of doing it was actually the most ineffective way of catching these fish. See, to be successful, I had to do something that was not intuitive. See, it was intuitive to aim right at that fish, but the reality is that I had to aim, what, below the fish. I had to do something that didn't make sense, and then I was able to overcome and catch these fish. Now, family, let me bring this whole fishing story over to our teaching for today because, folks, what an image of the struggle that many believers face in overcoming temptation. And by that, I mean that just like I was doing what appeared to be the most effective thing, but in reality, it was actually very ineffective. Listen, just like that. And here's the big idea for this weekend. Many Christians struggle in overcoming sin in their life because they do what appears to be the right way of doing it. And as a result, listen, they end up keep struggling with the same sins day after day, week after week, month after year, month after month, year after year, and never really thrive in the relationship with the Lord. Who knows? Maybe you're out there right now, you're thinking, pastor, that's me to the T. Because, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for quite some time now, and, you know, it's fine, but there's certain things in my life, there's certain areas in my life, certain sinful struggles that I have not been able to overcome. So what is the effective way of doing doing it, and what's the ineffective way of overcoming sin? Well, we're going to find out from Colossians chapter two, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter two. You can load up your app or take out a a journal and take down some notes. And today I have two thoughts for you, uh, two thoughts on how to overcome sin and thrive in your walk with Christ. Write this down as point number one. To overcome sin, do not focus on rule imposement. Rule imposement. Now let's go to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. It says, if with Christ, you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to what? To regulations. Now circle the word regulations right there in your Bible. Because the Bible, as we always like to remind you, the Bible was first written, written in Greek and Hebrew and then translated to different languages. Where the word there, the original word there for regulations is the word dogmatized, which is where the word that we get dogma or dogmatic. And so what Paul here is saying is that why are you, if you're walking with Christ, if you're walking in freedom with Christ, Why are you still following these dogmatic rules and regulations? Now, keep in mind, a lot of the people who came to know Christ there in the city of Colossae actually had a Jewish background. And so here's what's happening. Their friends and their family, when, when, when they saw that they were walking with Christ now, here's what they told them. Listen, if you want to follow this guy, Jesus, listen, Have at it, go follow him. But if you really wanna be godly and if you wanna overcome sin, then you need to be sure that you are following the Jewish traditions of rules and regulations. And here are some of the things that they were saying. Let's go back to the text. It says this, it says, they were saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. See, God had given the people of God his word with his truth. But throughout the years, the Jewish people had developed self-imposed rules and traditions to obey God. So they got the commandments of God, the, the truth of God, and they started adding all these different rules and regulations to help them obey God. And so the logic behind all these rules was that if you deny yourself from certain things, that those sinful desires would just go away. And family, in our own personal lives, we sometimes tend to think in the same way, that if we impose a certain rule on ourselves of what, regardless of that, whatever it is, that we're not gonna have those desires or struggle with anymore. In fact, let me just give you a quick, silly example. Ever since we started COVID nineteen, we've all been stuck at home, and uh, you know, on Friday nights, Ashley and I usually go out to a, a, um, to a date night to a restaurant just to hang out and just enjoy ourselves. But since the start of this whole season, we've been at home and we've been taking t- getting takeout. And the one place we've been going every single Friday night is Shake Shack. Yeah, I know it's not the healthiest thing, but it is delicious, right? You know the burgers, the fries, and listen those shakes. Those, that chocolate malt is delicious. And so every Friday night, I go to Shake Shack, get us burgers and fries and shake and I'll come home. But one day I said, listen, I'm not gonna have that shake. It's just too many calories. I have enough calories with a burger and the fries. And so I said, hey, babe, if you wanna get your shake, you can get it, but I'm not getting a shake. And so I put a rule on myself that night that I was not gonna buy that chocolate milkshake. So anyway, I went there, got the food, came back home and we ate our burgers and fries. And afterwards, I still had a sweet tooth, right? But I didn't have my shake. So guess what happened? We we, We made a bunch of fresh baked cookies, chocolate chip, and I ate like 10 of them, yeah, with a huge glass of whole milk. And so basically I ended up eating more calories with those chocolate chip cookies and that milk than in that milkshake, which shows me what? That even though I put a rule on myself that I was not gonna get that milkshake, guess what? It didn't take my sweet tooth. It didn't take my desire away. And so you see, for somehow, some way, in in their mind, they were thinking that if they put some rules on themselves, that they were not gonna struggle with any desires. And here's why these self-imposed rules sometimes seem so alluring. Write this down as letter A it's because they appear to be wise, appear to be wise. Now let's go back to the text. This is what it says. It says, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of what? An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Now, church family, notice that all these rules, all these regulations have an appearance of wisdom. You know, going back to my opening story, just just like aiming right at the fish appeared to be the wise thing, right? But the reality was it wasn't very wise. It wasn't very effective. Listen, just like that, Listen, just putting rules and regulations on ourselves may have the appearance of wisdom, but it's really not that wise. But folks, they're not only alluring because they seem wise, but also, write this down as letter B, is because they appear to be effective. Now let's go back and see how the passage continues. It says, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of what? They are of no value. They're ineffective in stopping the what? The indulgence of the flesh or the giving in into our sinful desires. In other words, it doesn't matter how many rules and self-regulating rules they put on themselves. The reality is that it didn't do much in preventing their hearts from continuing to sin and struggle with sin. And a good example of that are the early monks of the Christian church. You know, back when I was in seminary, I, I really loved church history. And one of the people, the group, the group of people that really fascinated me were these monks. Because these monks were really people who were desiring to honor the Lord, to seek the Lord, to obey Him. And they were good people. And so here's the reasoning that they fell into. They thought to themselves, if if we're able to eliminate all of our desires, all of temptation, then we will be able to dominate our sin and no longer struggle. And so that was a mentality. And so they would sell all their possessions, give all the proceeds away, and they would go out into the wilderness, they would go out into the deserts, and they would live in caves. And and while they're out there in, in solitude, they would impose a bunch of just rules on them. Some of them didn't have the same clothing for the for their entire life. There's stories of another man, another monk, who for 36 years lived on top of a 50 foot pillar. Yeah, crazy, right? You know, for us, listen, we we're going crazy just several weeks with a stay at home order. But these monk, this monk was atop of a pillar for over 36 years but here is what these monks quickly realized. That even though they were denying themselves of a lot of things, the reality was that they were not overcoming their sinful desires. Because even though they were out there, they were still struggling with all these different sins in their hearts. And so when they would struggle, guess what? They would impose more rules on themselves, but, but they were never effective. And so here's the big lesson that they learned that to deny yourself doesn't eliminate your desire and propensity to sin. Let me repeat that. To deny yourself of something doesn't eliminate your, heart, your, your heart's desire to sin and to, and to give into that temptation. And folks, the same thing is with us. Listen, we may not be monks, right? We not, may not be out in isolation, but we sometimes put the same things on ourselves. So for example, You know, you may have put a rule upon yourself that when things get heated with your spouse and you're going at it, that you're not gonna say something that you're gonna bite your tongue. But you know what? Deep down inside, that's not stopping you from anger and from bitterness and hate towards your spouse. You know, you may come to a point that you put a rule upon yourself that you're gonna lock your computer away. You're gonna get off of Instagram, start on following certain accounts. But still in your heart, you're still struggling with lust. Or maybe you can put a rule on yourself that every time you see that person, you're gonna never say anything bad about them, you're gonna compliment them, but deep down in your heart, you're still burning with jealousy towards them. You see, and you can put that in any single area in our life, you can put a rule on yourself, but that doesn't mean that inside of your heart, things are changing. You know, and it may minimize temptation for a little bit, those rules, these, these, these things you put on yourself, but it does nothing to overcoming sin long-term. So the question is, so pastor, how do you overcome sin? We'll write this down as big number two. To overcome, to overcome sin, focus on heart transformation. Heart transformation. You know, when the Lord was here on this earth, there was a moment in time where the religious rulers came up to Jesus and started asking him, why didn't his disciples follow the traditions and the rules of the elders of Israel? And so listen to how Jesus responds, because I believe in his response lies the key of, in overcoming sin. Listen to what he says in Mark chapter 7. It says this, It says, now when the Pharisees, who were the religious rulers, gathered to him with some of the scribes that had come from Jerusalem, they saw some of the disciples who ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding, what, the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace and they do not eat unless they wash, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as a washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with the foul hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, these people honor me with their lips. But they're what? But their heart is far from me. So notice these religious rulers were trying to impose the same traditions that they were in the city of Colossae. And, and, and these religious rulers were thinking to themselves that, as, that imposing so many rules and traditions and regulations upon themselves that they were going to overcome sin. But the reality which is what Jesus is pointing out, is that their hearts were far from God. See, their hearts had not been changed. They had not been transformed. See, folks, the way to overcome sin in your life is not just to put some little rules throughout your life in yourself to deny yourself of certain things. You know, like I said earlier, they might minimize temptation, but it was not, they're not going to be effective in overcoming sin in the long term. Instead, listen, there needs to be a change. There needs to be heart transformation. There needs to be mind transformation. This is why God's word says this in Romans chapter 12. Listen to what it says. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now notice, it doesn't say do not be conformed to this world by putting rules on yourself about a relationship, about an addiction, about different things, about lust, whatever the case may be. It doesn't say do not be conformed to this world by putting rules on yourself, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so the natural question is, well, pastor, how do you transform your heart? Well, write this down as letter A. You need to ask God for his spirit to transform you. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 2 Corinthians because it adds further insight. Listen to what it says. It says, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're transforming to become more and more like Christ. And here's a key phrase. For this comes, right? For this transformation comes from the Lord, who is the what? Who is the spirit. See, notice that being transformed is ultimately a work of God and the spirit of God. See, we are fully and completely dependent on God to come and transform our hearts and transform our mind and even the way we think. And folks, even the concept of repentance is really closely tied into this whole thought of transformation. Transformation. Because the the word repentance simply means to change one's mind. You know, when you hear the word repentance, that's what it means. It means to change one's mind about something. And oftentimes when people think uh, about repentance, they think that they got to try really, really hard to repent. That I got to try and repent and and my will is what's going to cause me to repent. But folks, in Scripture, it's, uh, it's clear that even to repent, to change our mind, to transform our mind, that we are fully dependent on the Lord. In fact, listen to what Acts chapter 11 says. It says, when they heard these things, they, fa- they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted what? God has granted repentance. Now, church family, notice who is the one who grants repentance here. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one who grants us repentance. And, and so my encourage, encouragement to you is this, that if there's an area in your life that you're struggling in your sin, that you know it's not right with God, that you know your heart has not been transformed, Listen, the answer is, again, it's not to put rules on yourself, but simply go to God. Acknowledge that he has the power to transform you and ask him to do it. You know, and it makes sense that the Lord is the one who transforms our heart. It makes sense that he's the one who grants repentance and changes our minds in many ways. Because if, 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 if transformation was due to your own hard work and effort, to your own will, you know what would happen? Pride would develop in our hearts. And here's how. Because if you really tried really hard and you, and you, you transformed your own heart and you repented of and yourself, all your will, if, if that was up to you and to your own effort, then when you would look at someone else, You'll be prideful. You'll say, hey, they're, they, they're, they don't love God as much as I do. Man, they don't have that determination that I have. They're not as wise as I am. And so listen, the reason you're like that is because of you and I am just so good and I am so wise and I, now I am so godly. But you see, what God's word says is that, what? Hard transformation, is not our will. It's not our work. Is the Lord. And it makes sense, right? Because listen, when, when our hearts are transformed, when we change the way we think and we start growing in our walk with the Lord, you don't get the glory. I don't get the glory. Who gets the glory? The Lord gets the glory. And so God has designed it that he is the sovereign author of our salvation. And even the way we grow spiritually, even the way that our hearts are transformed. And so the first step is always coming before God, acknowledging and asking him to transform our hearts. Here's the second step. Write this down as letter B. Is to allow God's commands to guide and protect you, to guide and protect you. You know, as the Lord begins to transform our hearts, you know, God has also given us his commands. Now, his commands for your life and my life are not like the self-imposed rules that we put ourselves to deny ourselves of of things. But rather, His commands for our lives are to guide us and to protect us. And here's the reality. The more that that, that God begins to work in your heart and you allow the Spirit of God to just work in your heart and you're growing your relationship with Christ, it's interesting that the commands of God are not things that we see as burdens, but they're actually, they're not burdensome anymore. They're things that actually we want to do. See, that's why 1 John chapter five says this. Listen to what it says. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? They're not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God, who has a relationship with Christ, overcomes the world. See, when we have been transformed by God, listen, the commands of God are no longer a burden, but there's something that we actually want to do. In fact, a good litmus test to see whether or not your have, your heart has been transformed, if your mind has changed, if it has been transformed, is, is to see how you view the commandments of God. See, if you read a commandment of God, and you think it's burdensome, you think it's something that you don't wanna do, that you gotta force yourself to do, well, most likely is that your heart has not been transformed, that, you, that your mind has not changed. But, but when you read God's word and you see, right, you see, wow, there's a the commands of God and even though I'm not perfect, I want to obey them. I love the Lord. I want to, I want to please them. Then you know, that you, your heart has been transformed. So if there's, if there's a specific area in your life that you feel, man, I, I feel like the commandments of God are a burden, then maybe that's a specific area in your, in your life that you need to ask God to transform your heart, that you need to ask God to grant you repentance, to help you see the things for they really are. And so whatever area in, in your life that is, listen, that's a good indicator you need the Lord to work in your heart. And so in a few moments, listen. we're gonna do something that's very special for us here at Christ Fellowship, which is taking the Lord's Supper. Um, So by the way, if you have not gotten the elements, the cup and the bread or the crackers, you can pause right now. You can go and get them. You can pause the broadcast, come back and then continue. But today we're gonna do the Lord's Supper, which is very special to us, where we remember what the Lord did for us and his sacrifice. But before we do, it, Scripture always reminds us that before we remember what the Lord did to us, that we need to come before the Lord and confess our sins before Him. So the first thing that I want us to do right before we take the Lord's Supper, wherever you're watching us, whether you're by yourself or with your family or whoever, man, let's go ahead and bow our heads. I want to lead us through a process of prayer that I think will lead us to a very special moment when we come to the point of taking the Lord's Supper, right? So everyone, let's wire our heads right now together. Here's what I want you to do. First of all, come before the Lord and acknowledge those errors in your life that you're struggling with sin and ask him for forgiveness. So take some time right now and talk to the Lord and confess your sins. Lord, we all come before you individually and collectively. And Father, we, your children come before you and we ask you for forgiveness of our sins. Father, we acknowledge that there's areas in our lives that are not pleasing to you. And Father, we ask you for forgiveness today, oh Lord. Forgive us of our sins. And with your eyes closed, continue just in that moment of prayer And now whatever sin you confess to the Lord, I'm going to encourage you now to ask him, acknowledge that he has the power to transform your heart and ask him and pray that he would do so. So wherever you're at right now, keep, keep your eyes closed, keep praying and spend some time just asking the Lord in that specific area to work in your heart. But oh Lord, we come before you, and as we saw in your word, you have the power to transform our hearts. You have the power to change our hearts. And, and so, Lord, we come before you, and you know the struggles of every single one of us. You're the sovereign God. And Father, we acknowledge that you have the power to transform our hearts. And Father, we pray, O oh Lord, that today that you would begin to work, at work in our hearts to overcome these different areas in our, in our life that are not pleasing to you. And so, Father, help us as we move forward and transform our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, this moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And so the moment, the the Lord's Supper is a very special moment because it's a moment that the Lord asks us to stop and just to meditate and remember on what he did for us. And here's why it's so important that we do this. Is because when we remember, right, what the Lord did for us, it not only creates a love and affection and gratitude for what He does, that He did for us, but at the same time, He reminds us that because of His death and resurrection, that He alone has the power to help us overcome the sin in our life. And so the death of Christ, when He died on that cross for us, listen, He was paying for our sins. And He, when He resurrected, listen, He now has the power to help us overcome every single sin in our life. And so I'm going to encourage you right now to grab the bread wherever you find yourself. Take a few moments. And as you take this bread, close your eyes as you take this bread and just... As you you take the bread, close your eyes and just think of how his body was broken for you. And so wherever you find yourself, go ahead and take the cup, take the bread. And as you eat it, meditate and think and thank God of how his body was broken for you and for me. You can take the bread now. The second step of the Lord's Supper is the cup. And the cup represents the shedding of His blood for you and for me. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So the blood represents the forgiveness that you and I have experienced. And also the fact that the new covenant that He has with us, that He will always guide us and protect us. We're His children and He will empower us to overcome sin. So wherever you find yourself, take the cup right now close your eyes, and as you take the the cup, just meditate on how his blood was shed for you and for me. You may take the cup now. Let me pray for us. Father, we are just so grateful, Lord, of how good you are to us. And as we take the time to to remember how your body was broken for us, how your blood was shed for us, Father, not only do we thank you and our affections grow for you, but at the same time, it reminds us that you overcame sin and death for us. And so, Father, as we move forward, as we go on not just to survive the Christian life, but surviving it, Father, I pray that you would enable us and empower us to overcome sin in our life so that we can live lives that even though we're not perfect, that we would live lives that honor you and bring glory to you. Father, thank you so much for all that you do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church family, thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to be back next week for the final installment of this series called Survive and Thrive. I'm gonna, I guarantee you it's going to be a really special way to conclude this series. All right, Christ Fellowship, have a great week. I love you all.